You are listening to a Hive Talk Live stinger. Buzz Buzz. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is part two of the Saturday sit-down. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you want to do that. I talked to Dustin Pfeiffer, who covers the Hornets in depth. He's in the locker room. He's at the game. He's talking to coach. He knows his stuff. And we go in depth about a lot of different things going on with the Charlotte Hornets right now, who are off to a pretty amazing start, an unexpectedly good start. We dig in depth with him. And then also... We preview tonight's game with the Washington Wizards uh, with Jake Whitaker, who writes for BulletsForever.com, the SB Nation blog on the Washington Wizards. So make sure to check out part one. But this is part two, and this is about the NBA trade season. And and I don't want to talk about anything else. I just want to get to this great interview with Austin Peters from AtTheHive.com. Let's do it. You're giddy about trade season. Is this your favorite time of year? Tis the season for trades. Tis the season. I, you know, I don't know. It's, it doesn't got to be everybody's favorite time of year, right? Isn't it? Isn't all the all what, what it's all about? All the rampant speculation isn't what the, what the fun's all about. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. I think David would say his favorite time of the year is All Star Weekend. That's his big really? thing. But I think I think a lot of people like the NBA trade deadline because a i think it's a little more exciting than some of the other professional sports certainly more than football and you know it happens it starts to heat up around the holidays and basketball sort of heats up around the holidays at the same time so you have these you know converging uh gms all getting together and 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 starting the rumor mill and then at the same time fans casual fans are starting to watch basketball a little more as football winds down. So it's really a kind of perfect timing. Yeah, it really is. And this is the time of year where it really heats up. Just uh, I think uh, some people might be curious why everybody's making a big deal like this week, why this is the week where all the rumors are starting to fly and where all of the trade scuttlebutt is coming out. And there, there's two reasons. One, the date December 15th, is the first day where the majority of the players that were signed this last summer can then be traded. So, for example, um, uh, trying to think, Paul Millsap signed with the Hawks this offseason. And so December 15th would be the first day that if the Hawks wanted to trade him, that they would be allowed to trade him. And then at the end of this week, December 18th, that's an important date as well because that is the last day players who are traded can be traded again later or, or in, can be put into trade with multiple players. So mm. let's say, let's say the Hornets, you know, before December 18th acquired, I, I'm sure we'll get to this. Let's say the Hornets got Dwight Howard in their trade before December 18th and it didn't work out so well. And they wanted to trade him again. Since they traded for him before December 18th, they would be able to, they would be able to combine him with other players in a trade after December 18th. If not, if they wanted to trade him again, they could only trade him by himself. So that's why those are a couple of reasons why this week is really important. And that's why everybody is kind of making a big deal of saying that trade season is really starting right now. I think Hornets fans would be okay with getting Dwight Howard. If you could actually combine him with a player that, that uh, gave a damn. <laughs> uh, listen, 
the one of the fun parts I think about trade season as well is or or what the one of the parts that I think has made it more fun is Twitter and the ESPN trade machine. Just the combination of those two things when you yeah. get when you get writers and fans just coming up with the craziest uh, or, or even not so crazy trade options via the ESPN trade machine. And it really I think it's it's perfect for the holidays because it's kind of like visiting Santa when you were a kid, right? Because you you, you, yeah, you sit exactly. on you, you sit on its lap and and you ask it for just the most ridiculous things you can possibly think of, your hopes, your dreams, your wonders. And uh you know, normally it doesn't pan out, you know? I mean, unless you're you know, you're not getting that pony in the backyard unless your, you know, owner really likes to pay the luxury tax. Yeah. Yeah. But, another thing that I was thinking of, you know, is uh, NBA 2K. I think that with how big 2K is, mm-hmm. um, basketball culture, I think, because I mean, for me, whenever I play 2K, the funnest part is the my GM mode where you get to make trades and sign free agents and just basically make whatever team you want. And so I think that that kind of plays a part in the whole basketball, uh, you know, adoration for the trades and all of the rumors and, and it's also fun to dream of, you know, player X going to team A, you know, in a trade for player Y. You know, it's just, it's, I think it's just it's fun to to think about and it, you know, gets people talking. Yeah, well, I mean, because basketball is so much about pairing guys with, with other, you know, or pairing skill sets, I should say, with other skill sets. And how does player Y fit with team X's scheme? I mean that's what makes it a lot of fun to talk about, and how does how will player A get along with player B, and, and and you know that's what makes this fun to look into. And and you did a great job on at the hive dot com of really breaking down in 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 a categorical way where each Hornets player stands on the uh, tradeability, I guess, uh, scale. And, and you start with untouchables, guys that that you deem. Are, are untouchable on this Hornets roster that even if someone called and gave the Danny Ainge godfather offer that they're not, they're not, they're, Hey, Rich Cho is slamming the phone down. Only two guys here, Nicholas Batum and Michael Kidd Gilchrist on your untouchables list. And, and I have to ask because they gave him a, an extension. You don't think Kimball Walker is on the untouchable list. Why? I, I think, well, they're, they're Okay couple different reasons one Kemba's in the first year of his extension and Michael Kidd Gilchrist extension doesn't kick in until next year that will be the first year of his extension so that means that if the Hornets were to trade Michael Kidd Gilchrist they would be subject to what's called the poison pill provision and that means that since Michael Kidd Gilchrist is still on his rookie scale contract and he has a low salary amount that their the salary amount for matching purposes in a trade would be a, a calculation of the year that the current year salary that he's under, and then the subsequent extension years. There's a formula that they use to determine the salary amount. So it, it would just be trickier to match salaries, and and then with Kemba, it's, you know, I think it's a hard 12 million a year. I think I want to say is is where his extension is at starting this year, um, and I think so. That's one reason, and then. The other reason I think is that Michael Kidd Gilchrist, his skill set and what he brings to the team is just extremely important to them, not just on the court, but also just kind of in their locker room and then just, just the vibe of the team in general. He plays 
so hard all the time. He's always a boost of energy whenever he's whenever he's on the court from the from the tip off all the way to the finish. And I think that that's really really hard to come by in the league. I can, I probably can't even you know name ten players off the top of my head that play as hard as he does. And obviously he has a lot of offensive limitations, and he doesn't hide from that either. He knows that, but. There are so many other ways that he has taken to growing his game that really benefits. It could benefit any team, and it especially benefits the Hornets. And so I think that now that they have him locked up and with all the contract structure type of thing, I think it makes it more difficult. I guess, Kemba, you know, you, you can make an argument for Kemba being in this, in this discussion with just how well he's played this year. To me, I think that, you know, if he's not an all-star, he's, he's one of, the people on the bubble, one of the first people left off of the all-star balloting this year. And I, you know, he's had, he's had a great year and it's for me, it's, this is the first year that he's shown that he can knock down shots consistently from three, that he can be better with his decision-making. And so I, I want to see it kind of a little bit more until I throw him into a category of, okay, he's, he's my franchise point guard and there's probably, you know, a handful of point guards better than him, and I want to go. I want to go to battle with Kemba as my starting point guard every night. Obviously, he's done great for them this year, and the options out there for the Hornets probably aren't much better with how well he's been playing. But like I said, I, I want to see it more consistently from him because he is kind of a player who's had a reputation for having an inconsistent game. Yeah, no, I, I've said it a couple of times on the show. He is in the midst of the season, yeah, the 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 leap season, if you will at least in relative to Charlotte. And I think he's in the midst of that season. We just need to see him complete that season so far on track, but needs to complete the season. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And to be fair, your next category is called no, but thanks for calling. So it's still a no Kimba's still in the no category. And he's joined by Jeremy, the super Jeremy brothers, Jeremy lamb, Jeremy Lynn, and then Cody Zeller, and I think that's the interesting name because if you had compiled this list in the offseason, Cody probably near the bottom of the list or I guess top of the list for most you know, likely to be traded, and now he sits in no, but thanks for calling. Why do you say that? Well, that's interesting that you say that because I'm pretty sure I wrote a piece before the season started about how, and I included about how Cody is an interesting trade for this team if they wanted to make another move, so that's just kind of funny. But along with Kemba, he's played great this year. He's having the best best to me, the best career year of his career so far even though he's only in year three. He is, his box score stats aren't going to jump out at you, but like Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, he kind of just, he brings stuff that they really can't replace or they can't repeat. And So unless you're going to go out and get a rim-running center who is going to protect the rim, crash the glass, and then sprint down the floor, beat everybody else down the floor, get a deep steal layup and transition, set ball screen, dribble handoff, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, like I said, he just he brings so many things to the team that they can't replace with anybody else. And that's extremely valuable, especially given the fact that he's in the third year of his career and so he's still on his rookie scale contract, which is just at an absurd, you know, amount for any player who is a starter and giving a team good minutes on any team. So I think that that's why he's in this category. And now that I'm thinking about it, he becomes a really interesting extension candidate next year 
So I guess this will probably be, what, three years in a row where the Hornets will be looking to extend their first-round pick from that draft class that's up for extension, which would, I think, probably be kind of unprecedented. You really don't see teams do that that you know that often each year where they're extending a rookie-scale guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, they've been able to hang on to young talent. Some of that has been because there isn't a huge demand for that talent, but they've they've done a good job of cultivating uh, a, an atmosphere of, you know, we, we're, we're going to sign you, we're going to believe in you, we're going to develop you, and then if you make that commitment to the style of play that that we play here in Charlotte, then, you know, we'll take care of you. And I think that's important to see not only for the development of future assets that are brought in through the draft, but also free agency. I think you you, you want to establish a culture of consistency, of rewarding excellence, of rewarding improved play, uh, because that shows when, when you go to the free agent table, as opposed to, you know, Sacramento, when they approach the, the table and free agency crazy town. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely important. So let's see, moving on to your next list. Now, here's the one where they're listening. So it's not a, it's, it's not a yes. It's not a no. We're not serving these guys up on a platter, but this is the I'm listening category, and it includes Frank Kaminsky, Marvin Williams, and Spencer Hawes. Now, I, I've been thinking about Marvin Williams, and I saw – an interesting article, I can't remember if it was on ESPN or SB Nation, but it talked about how the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL are brutally honest about where a player is and where they're going to be, where they project out to be, and they'll cut ties with guys. Uh, sometimes it's a hard decision, but they'll do it anyway. And I kind of think about that with Marvin Williams because he's certainly he's been the heart and soul of this team. He has been the the first twenty game, you know, MVP of this team, letting out the primal screams, uh, basically shutting down Demar Derozan the other night uh, against Toronto. I mean, he's doing so many things that we didn't see last season, and, and yet still hitting threes at the same rate that he hit last season and being more aggressive with that and keeping up that efficiency. But he is an older guy. He has a lot of mileage on his legs, a lot of minutes played. And so it's like, where does he project out next season? Or where does he project out after the All-Star break? Can he keep up this pace at his age with the number of minutes he's played? And I start to think about that with the trade deadline coming up. Do you think the Hornets have to consider selling high with Marvin Williams, or or can they not afford to give up that heart and soul? I I have a lot of thoughts on this, just as you were talking. And I think the fir- first off, I think Marvin's reputation, he's always had this stigma and just for being known as the dude that was drafted before Chris Paul. And I think that he's far enough along in his career for collectively as people watching games and reading stuff, I think we just need to forget about, like, just, yes, he was drafted before Chris Paul. Let's just forget about it and move on and just evaluate him for the player he is. Mm. And when I went and looked, I was looking at Marvin's numbers for this year, and I was watching his stuff, and I was curious. I was like, 
everybody's making this out to be Marvin's best career, the best year of his career. And so I go and look back, and honestly, I, he's probably middle in the pack in points per game, middle in the pack rebounds per game for, for like for against some of his other career seasons. And I think he's actually shot better from three in other years during his career. And so I think Marvin, right now, what we're seeing, I, I think he's improved a ton from last year. Last year, he was a little inconsistent, and he really didn't live up to what everybody thought he was going to bring to the team. But like you said, he has been everything for this team. He's added shooting, which they desperately need. He's actually, you know, last year he was supposed to be a shooter, and now he actually is a shooter. And he allows them to switch one through four in, in tight spots. And he can, you know, he can guard positions one through four in tension. So on, on our team, on the Hornets, I should say, they really don't have a guy like that. I mean, I guess when they go small sometimes and put Batum at, at power forward, that that can have that sort of effect. And I guess that's what you were probably hoping Michael Kidd-Gilchrist would, Kidd-Gilchrist would be at times on defense. But then again, he doesn't provide the same force facing on offense that Marvin does. And so he is very valuable to this Hornets team. But he's an expiring contract. He's going to be a free agent this year. And... Like you said, he's getting older. He he might be thirty, maybe on the wrong side of thirty. I'm not not one hundred percent sure off the top of my head. And it's it's a it's a great question to ask. It's like is this is this it for him? Is like this is this going to be his last hurrah? Is this going to be his last big year? And if that's the case, then I mean, it's you have to sell high. But I don't know how you know if this is going to be his last, you know quote-unquote career year or if this is going to be if we're going to start to see a decline from him afterwards and you know that just the Hornets are such an interesting team going forward after this year because just of this it it just seems like every player on the roster just has an interesting I don't know how to describe it just they they're just they're interesting it's an interesting situation and scenario for every player on the roster and how much it impacts their their salary cap and their roster construction going forward. I know we talked about the extensions for guys. And, you know, if you keep giving extensions for guys, then that's clogging up your cap in, recent, in, in later years. And then, you know, they have to make decisions. Obviously, they're going to bring back the tomb or they're going to try as hard as they can to bring back the tomb because he's probably been their best player this year. And then, you know, Big Al, they have to make a decision on Al Jefferson this offseason and Marvin. And, and it just goes on and on down. And Lynn will probably opt out because he's only under contract for two million next year which is an absolute bargain and so they'll probably have to worry about trying to bring him back and so it's just there's just an unending amount of, of scenarios for the team and at some point you got to cut ties with some guys and you got to pick some guys and say okay we committed 12 million dollars a year to Kemba we committed 13 million dollars a year to Michael P. Gilchrist we're going to give the soon 20 million dollars a year starting next offseason you know Marvin was great for us but sorry, like we're going to give an extension to Cody. You know, we want to bring back Jeremy Lynn. We already gave an extension to Jeremy Lamb. And, you know, just by process of elimination, it's just, there's not, there's not enough, not enough money to go around for everybody, you know? Right. And I think what makes this conversation interesting, or really the, the only reason we're having this conversation is because Marvin Williams has played so much better than yeah. people projected him to play this season. It might not be it's might not be his best season statistically, but just the the eye I mean the eyeball test, he he's played with such a heart and such a passion and such an intensity. But also so many guys on this team have played above their projections that then you start to ask the question, 
long term, who do you want to stay with? Jeremy Lamb is young. Nick Batum is still in his prime. And and then you get to Marvin Williams, a little older. You don't know what when the knee the knees the kind of the, the the driving aspect of his knees gave out on him a while ago. And now he's turned yeah. into more of a shooter. And so it's like, what does that next year look like? What does that next step look like? And his value probably won't be any higher than it is right at this moment. Because again, you don't know when guys in that age bracket are going to suddenly fall off. And when it happens, it happens quick. And and then it's over. And then the value is gone. Uh, yeah. So it would be, I mean, it would be a heart-ripping kind of decision and it would get ridiculed and it would get uh, uh, probably, you know, shredded, but it might be a necessary move. It might end up being a savvy move if it were to happen. Uh, But I wanted to, you mentioned Al Jefferson. I want to definitely talk about him. You call him or the situation around Al Jefferson, the gigantic elephant in the room for this team. What what's going to happen with this gigantic elephant? Is this is this Operation Dumbo Drop? Are they trying to get Al Jefferson into a into a freighter uh, or a freight airplane and, and move him? I was planning on actually writing about this, and then I saw that Rick Bonnell over at the Charlotte Observer he does a fantastic job covering the team and. You should follow him because he's the, you know, everybody listening to this should follow him because he's the best Hornets insider out there. Um, he, he wrote about the situation and broke it all down. And so um, I've kind of ditched that idea. But, yeah, so I guess uh, let, let's talk about this. Uh, you know, the giant elephant in the room, pun intended. You know, he's, he's a big guy. He's been a big part of this franchise for the last two years before the season, if I remember correctly when we were all going through our performance all-time teams, I'm pretty sure just about everybody had Al Jefferson as one of the top two centers, didn't they? Like, it, it, he was, he's, been, he's been great for the franchise, and yeah. it, it's kind of sad that it's turned into this. And part of it's not his fault. You know, his game is back to the basket, give me the ball, I'm going to back my guy down, and I'm going to go score. And that's, that's he's great at it. He's one of the best in the league at it. But with the league, the direction it's going in, with the modern NBA, the pace and space, more teams are playing guys like Cody Zeller, quite frankly, at center, who are athletic, you know, like to set screens and dive and crash the glass, can block shots, you know, at, at times. And so Jefferson, he really, he really can't do any of that. And I, I give him props for, you know, losing weight. I think that Coach Clifford or that coaching staff or somebody – probably went and talked to him about how, okay, we're going to change things up. We brought in Nick Batum. We brought in Jeremy Lin. You know, this is this is how we see ourselves playing with this team. And, you know, obviously you don't really fit in that from the outset, but we need, you know, we want you to be a part of this. And so he lost some weight. And, you know, I, I noticed in the preseason and early in the season, he was moving around really well and he was, he was adapting and he didn't, he didn't fit in. It wasn't a great fit, but he was, he was making it work. But, Obviously, there's still that part of him as a low post guy and as just about any big man in the league that wants their touches throughout the course of the game and, you know, wants the ball fed to him. And I, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, every player is just such an interesting scenario on this team. And like every decision that this team is going to make on pretty much every single player is going to impact greatly their future. And so with Al being as old as he is, I think he's what, 31, 32, 33, somewhere in there. And 
you know, with the amount of money that he's probably going to want. I, I just don't think that it, when it comes to, you know, guys on the chopping block to, to try and bring back and keep around, I think that he's probably on the low end of the totem pole just because they're having so much success with the way that they're playing right now. They're top five in offense, top, I think, six in defense. And they, I mean, but, I mean, let's just be honest. They played better without him, like, the last, last several games. They, they just, they've Defensively, been, they've been for sure. Like, yeah, like, they, I mean, they were good with him, but lately they've just, they've been awesome. I think, how they I mean, other than the the bad loss to the Warriors and then the the big loss they had the other night, like they've they've been phenomenal. They're undefeated when they score over a hundred points, and then when they don't have Al on the floor, they can play faster. They can push the tempo more. They can, you know, they they can score more. And it's just, I don't know. It's it, like I said, this this conversation sucks because the the reputation surrounding Al is that he's he's a solid guy. And I know this, you know, this recent uh, drug suspension that. You know that kind of hurts hurts that a little bit, but you know I, I read Adi Joseph. I read his piece before the beginning of the year on on Big Al, and you know reading other stuff about him, and it just it sucks to talk about him like this because he still is a good player too. It's just you know it's just one of those harsh realities, like you said, about you know coming to coming to terms and grips with the current situation. Well, listen, I mean, you know, trade season, you have to be honest, and the players would say that this is a business. And for the most part, most players are understanding when things like this occur. And some players even try to manipulate it to their advantage or force a trade. So, you know, you just have to talk about this kind of thing, honestly. And I think I don't know because Al Jefferson's game is so far from where the NBA is heading. I don't know what his value is is it would have to be the yeah. right situation. He has a, a nice contract situation, so that could help. But y- you still, I think, you'd have to find a team willing to uh, implement him in some way and and make it worth a, a, still what would be a pretty big investment in Big Al. But let's talk about, we, we so we've kind of broken down where certain guys fall on the spectrum of tradability or, or or likely to be traded. Let's talk about potential targets now. And, and you wrote about three, Dwight Howard, Markeith Morris, and Kevin Martin. Which of these three really interest you most in terms of, oh man, that would be awesome to see in Charlotte? Uh, I touched on all three of them and what all three of them could bring to Charlotte. And I think those are really the only three names. I think Ryan Anderson's another name that's floated around there on on the the rumor mill. And if I'm being completely honest, the, the three, all three of them, neither of them really excite me that much to the Hornets. I know you and I we talked before the season about Marquise when he was supposedly on the trade block before the season. We talked about him maybe fitting in in Charlotte, and I I think that with Marquise and Dwight both that what they both have in common is not so good reputation of their lot, their locker room kind of vibe and just their behavior and how good of a vibe and just how great the Hornets are gelling in that way. I think that both of them would be just an absolute terrible fit in that sense. Um, on the, on the basketball court, I think what they both theoretically can do would just be incredible because while Cody Zeller is decent at protecting the rim, he's, He's no Dwight Howard, who's one of the best rim protectors in the league, and Dwight's one of the best pick and roll finishers in the league. And, and, and then you have Marquise, who 
is a very good isolation player. He doesn't really move the ball, and that's kind of something that the Hornets have really stressed this year is moving the ball and, you know, creating creating shots for others. Um, and Marquis doesn't really do that, and so I don't know if he'd be the best fit on the court. Um, Kevin Martin, I mean, everything you, you hear or read about Kevin Martin is that he's, he's a decent guy and that or you haven't, I haven't read anything bad about him. So I guess to me that means he's, you know, a decent, a decent guy in the locker room and, and, and within a team culture. And he can really shoot the ball. I mean, he's kind of suffered a little, suffered a slump this year a little bit. But I, for his track record is that he's always been one of the best shooters, best, best shooters, you know, coming off screens and spotting up in the league. But he can't play defense, and this is a team that, you know, the Hornets have prided themselves on the defensive end the last three years. And obviously, he would probably fit really well in the offense. But I mean, he kind of is brings to the table exactly what Jeremy Lamb brings to the table for them. Only Jeremy Lamb, a lot younger, and you know, quite frankly, better this year. So not all three of them are intriguing on the court, but you know, except for in the case of Kevin Martin, Dwight and. Marquis, but off the court, it's just, it would be a disaster. Yeah, Kevin Martin, very questionable on the defensive end. And without MKG, yeah. I just don't think that this team needs less defense. So whatever, yeah. whoever they w- wanted to bring in, I think would have to be a plus on the defensive end of the floor if it were to make sense to, to bring, that, bring that guy in. I got a name for you because I, I was thinking about Okay, what do the Hornets need? And, and obviously, I think the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind is rim protection. And and that's all that's all well and good. I think the Hornets have done a great job of getting rim protection by committee. Marvin Williams, Kimba Walker, Jeremy Lin has had a lot of blocks. Uh, and then Cody Zeller has, has gotten a little better at his shot blocking. So they have that but there's no one threat that really discourages someone from driving but i was looking and i saw that that charlotte actually allows the least uh, paint or, or or close touches in in the nba and i think part of that has to do with their defensive style and mentality which is to sink you know to sink low and to basically prevent that lane, that initial lane entry, it didn't work so well with with Boston, but against most teams, they, they they're okay with allowing the occasional perimeter shot. It just means yeah. that their rotations have to be perfect. That they're occasionally going to be late, and but they're okay with with allowing some perimeter access. But they're denying a lot of what's going on in the lane. Okay, so yeah. I'm saying. Maybe rim protection it shouldn't be number one priority. Here's what I think would be a great priority for the Hornets is to get a high-energy guy because I think one of the biggest problems this season has been getting up for the first quarter and getting up for the third quarter. And I'm looking across the spectrum, and I see this guy in Indiana named Solomon Hill who has fallen out of the rotation because Paul George has come back and uh, C.J. Miles is playing well for them, and uh, they've also got one other cat that has kind of pushed him out of the rotation. But Solomon Hill is a guy that is known for his energy, is known for being a good locker room presence, and he has kind of a MKG length and size. He doesn't have the quickness and, and, and the IQ that MKG does defensively, but he's a really big guy, 
And, and you know, if you're talking about maybe inserting a guy for P.J. Hairston, you get a size upgrade with Solomon Hill. I like this name. And it's a sneaky name. It's not a name that – but he's on the block. And, and it's a name that I think would work well. What are your thoughts on on that, throwing it out to the trade expert? Uh, if I Okay, if I'm being completely honest, when I when you emailed me his name, I I looked at it and I was like, why? Like, right. I was like, why? Well, no, to you, I was like, why? Why Solomon Hill of all people? Right. And then so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go look at his numbers. Like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see, you know, maybe, maybe Doug's on to something here. And I, I went and looked at Obviously, this year his numbers are terrible. He's not playing. Yeah, he's got like seven year. minutes a game. Yeah, yeah. Last year, though, he started 78 of 82 games, played right. like 30 minutes a game, and was like nine and seven a game. I don't know. I honestly don't know why he's. He's not in the rotation. I think that they're a team that uh, well, Indiana, but, we're it, about. Yeah, well, no, Indiana is really shifting to an offensive-minded team. They're, they're, they will yeah. sacrifice defense. But Charlotte isn't that. They want to be an offensive team and shoot threes. But And that's what you would lose, I guess, in the Solomon Hill for P.J. kind of exchange in the starting lineup is that you would lose P.J.'s ability to, to spread the floor. But if you had MKG... You were going to lose that anyway. So I think with Solomon Hill, you get an upgrade in size, but most importantly, you get an upgrade with intensity because PJ, he's a shooter. Now, he's been told that to basically to stay in the league, you got to learn how to play defense. And he's done a great job, and it's the reason he's in the starting lineup. But I don't think PJ gets out of bed in the morning excited. To play defense, I think it's more of a. I don't think anybody does. Well, well yeah, right, but I mean, some guys. I think MKG, yeah. probably. Uh, you know, yeah. but oh, yeah, yeah. But there are some guys that make a block. I mean, we've seen Marvin make a block and let out the primal scream. There's some guys that still, you know, get up for that kind of thing. And I think Solomon Hill could be that presence and could help this team get, like I said, come out strong, come out with with a fire and an intensity and and then out of the half. So I, I don't know, man. I, I've talked myself into this name. I hope maybe I've talked you into it. I don't know. It sounded like you were on the fence. And no, yeah. No, you you you're kind of starting to talk me. I think if I think about it more and if I let you talk to me more, I'd probably be talked into it. But to me, I think the idea of what Solomon Hill can do is probably more than what he actually can do i think well yeah you have to temperate you have to understand it's like but and i think this speaks to where the hornets are and and this is a perfect segue because you know the the question is should the charlotte hornets make a trade they're known for making trades rich cho is known for using the trade to enhance this team as they make a playoff push seen it with josh mcroberts and gary neal Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, down the line, and they've been—they've all been kind of smaller moves. And again, that's why I think Solomon Hill, kind of under the radar, smaller type move, and it would be a move that would slightly move the needle for the Charlotte Hornets, but but in very specific ways, and not in a way that I, I again, if if the, if that kind of move were to happen, Austin, the majority of fans are going, wait, what the hell? And it was the same way with McRoberts. No one knew that yeah. McRoberts was going to be this stunning playmaker and shot maker. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying, keep think, an eye on it. 
Yeah, no. I Okay. If you can do a deal, which you can, I think if you could do a deal for Solomon Hill without giving up P.J. Harrison, that would be great. And, and here's why. Because both P.J. Harrison and Solomon Hill are in the exact same scenario when it comes to contracts. The Hornets declined P.J. Harrison's third-year option, which is looking like, uh, if, you know, I'm being, I'm just being honest, that is starting to look like an absolute, you know, like, what, what the hell did you do? Like, why did you do that? <laughs> what what then, did you do? <laughs> yeah, and then you have Solomon Hill, who the Pacers declined his fourth-year option. So right. they're both making, they both were drafted in similar positions relative to their, their draft class. And so they're both making the exact same amount of money, and which is very little. It's probably around a million dollars right on the dot. Yeah, he's and making he's making one point three, and then the, the the decline was on a like a two point three raise, and so it was a pretty significant fourth year. So it makes sense that the Pacers knew they were moving on. Yeah, know, to decline that option. Yeah, so they're in, they're in exact same contract scenarios, and I think that you you kind of want to would want both of them and, and not just one of them in that type of, type of scenario. I think for, for me, Solomon Hill is from the, the day he was drafted and I, I live in Indiana and I went to school, you know, I have tons of Pacer fan friends. Like it, they're, they're obnoxious. Let me tell you about it. There's, I have so many friends that are Pacers fans <laughs> and the, I, I honest to God, the night that he was drafted, I thought I was going to have to go check on my friends to see if they were okay or if they, it like, was an it was, odd pick. It, it was, they were just absolutely devastated because before the night, I don't think anybody had Solomon Hill even on their draft board. And I think, you know, he had a nice year in Indiana last year, but he's a guy who played power forward in college. He's never been able to shoot. And then he came to the league and now everybody thinks he's going to be a defensive stopper on, you know, at the three and that the, the shooting's going to improve. Well, the shooting hasn't improved, and he's not athletic enough to play on the wing. And so what is he? He's an undersized four who can guard power forwards, and that's Listen, that's I, totally, I totally get it. I totally get it with the shooting. But I'm just saying, if, if you need a, an energy guy and a guy who is going to get up defensively, which is where they have P.J. in there anyway – and you have extra shooting coming off the bench. It's not like you absolutely need PJ shooting, which comes in and out anyway. You never know if you're going. I mean, yeah. recently, it's certainly over the past two games, PJ shooting has been a plus. But we've also seen him before go over four and then get yanked. So yeah, before, before the last two games, he was what it was he like twenty something percent. Yeah, it was not good. So you don't know if yeah. if this PJ is going to last. So I don't know. I, I just think it, it. the more I thought about it and the more I looked over the past history of Charlotte trading, I'm like, this is the exact kind of move that Rich Cho is known for. And you wouldn't have to give up anything because the Pacers yeah. have no leverage. They're not playing the guy. They've already declined the option. I mean, this mm-hmm. this could be done for, I mean, you may you may have to give up, you know, some uh, maybe... I, they don't probably don't want to give up Harrison, but it would take maybe something like that, or or po- you could possibly get him for a pick for a second round. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think one of those. What what is it that everybody in the league does? One of those crappy top fifty five protected second rounders or whatever they are. Yeah, no, I, I so I don't know. I'm just saying he's he's a guy that the, his name is out there, and 
I just keep an eye on it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you're thinking, you're thinking outside of the box. I like it. I like it. Austin, uh, before we end this, I have to ask you to make a projection here. Do you think the Hornets will make any kind of deal? Or is this finally the year where they say, all right, we're playing pretty well. And we've got a good group of guys. We're gonna we're going to stand pat. I think we we touched on just about every situation. With, it seems like with every player on the roster so far, and I think with how complex their situation is right now, I I don't think that that's, that's something that they be doing. It, obviously, like you said, they're playing really well right now, and to do anything to screw that up would just be an absolute disaster. And I probably everybody in that front office would lose their job. Whereas right now, everything's going great. Everything's going just as planned. Everything is working out even better than they probably thought it would. I think coming into the season, especially after Michael K. Gilchrist got hurt, everybody thought, Oh my gosh, their season's over. They're not making the playoffs. And, you know, the, the Hornets probably to begin with, even with 10 KG, we're like, okay, our goal right now is we just want to get in the playoffs, seven seed, eight seed, whatever. You know, I know we're not going to contend this year, but we want to get in. That's why they traded for Nick Batum. That's why they signed Jeremy Lynn. You know, that's why they traded for Jeremy Lamb. It's like they, they just wanted to get in the playoffs. And now they're one of the four best teams in the East, one of the best teams in the league in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Things are going so well right now. And, you know, the trade deadline is not till February. It's not like, you know, I know I know I've laid out the reasons why this week is a big week. December 15th to 18th is a big window for trades to happen. But it's not like you can't wait another two and a half months to see, okay, you know, we've had 20, 20 or so odd games of great basketball. Let's see if we can do it for 40 or 50 or so odd games. You know what I'm saying? Before the trade deadline comes. So right. I think that there's, there's a lot more basketball to be left to play, and a lot more that we could we can probably still find out. You know, let's, let's find out what Al Jefferson looks like when he comes back from his suspension, and let's see if PJ can you know get get some get some good stuff going and build off these last two games. Let's see you know how things continue to work with Kemba and Lynn starting together. There you know there's there's so many other things that you can ask about the team, and probably some more things that they need to find out. But things things are going well right now. Like why if you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would you? You know, why would you mess up a good thing? Yeah, for now. Exactly. I think that's a great point. There's a lot of basketball left to be played before that trade deadline, so situations can change. We're definitely keeping an eye on it uh, here at Hive Talk Live and on atthehive.com. Austin, this was an extremely fascinating conversation. And go right now to atthehive.com. Check out Austin's article on this very subject, get primed. We'll put a link uh, on the uh, Saturday sit down post as well. Thank you so much, Austin. And uh, I'll let you get back to uh, the ESPN trade machine. (laughs) Uh, Take care. All right, man. Thanks, bud. There you go, folks. I I compared trade season to Santa Claus. That's the kind of thing you get here on Hive Talk Live. You get the in-depth talk. And then you get the ridiculous things that come out of my brain and come out of David Walker's brain. I hope you enjoyed it. Two parts. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Share it on Twitter, on Facebook. Tell people about Hive Talk Live because we're on the front page of blogtalkradio.com. That might not mean anything to a lot of people, but it's a big deal for us because we, we put a lot of time and a lot of our heart and a lot of our soul into this. And 
the the thing that we get back most is your feedback and, and you sharing and and when we see the numbers grow what it means to us is that uh, what what we set out to do at the beginning which was provide hornets talk for the hardcore fan 30 minutes to an hour of in-depth hornets conversation it just means that there was a need and, and we're doing our best uh, every Tuesday and Saturday to make that happen so subscribe to us on iTunes give us a rating give us that five star rating that uh, again it, that's our lifeblood we really we really need those keep listening we're back on Tuesday one more more show before the holidays uh, but if you don't listen to us before then everyone have a great Christmas holiday and and, and drive safe and and eat food and be merry and, and give something to someone and, and hug somebody thanks everyone for listening. Let's warm Charlotte.